Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold the peter ship show well aliens didn't invade the earth And the Federal Reserve didn't raise interest rates. If you remember, I was pegging the probability of each at roughly about the same amount. And true to form, the Federal Reserve pretty much did exactly what I thought they were going to do and not raise interest rates. Now, I thought they might have tried to lower the probability in the markets for a December rate hike. And even though they didn't say that, I think that was the effect of their announcement. If you look at the dot plots, for example, the FOMC members were now looking for rates to be lower for longer. And certainly, if you look at the reaction to the market, the market does not look like it's worried about a rate hike coming in either November or December, even though people still believe that the possibility still exists based on what the Fed said. Now, the Fed reiterated their prior statement that the case for a rate hike had increased. And they said they, they still said that. They didn't say the case had decreased. But they chose not to raise rates, despite the fact that the case was stronger. They didn't raise them. And they said the reason that they didn't raise them was because they wanted to see more data. And this is exactly what I said when Yellen first made her statements. If you go back and re-listen to the podcast I recorded when Janet Yellen first said that the case for rate hikes had strengthened, and everybody interpreted that to mean, oh, they're going to hike in September. What did I say? I said the Fed didn't say anything about actually hiking. They simply spoke about the case for a hike. And I described it maybe as a scale. Let's say 
on a scale of zero to 10, you need a 10 to hike. Well, if the case was a three and then it became a four, well, the case for a hike had strengthened. But if the Fed needs 10 and we're only at four, they're not going to hike. Now, they never came clean about their scale. They simply said that the case for a hike had increased and maybe based on that scale it had, but that doesn't mean that they're actually going to raise rates, and that's exactly what they did. Now, it's interesting that in all of the prepared remarks or in the press conference that followed, Janet Yellen never once admitted that the economy was weakening. In fact, she continues to pretend that everything is great. In fact, ironically, one of the questions in the Q&A had to do with Donald Trump's position that the Fed is, for political reasons, not raising interest rates, which, of course, is exactly why they're not raising them, because if they raise interest rates, everything would collapse, and so would the uh, the hope of, uh, of Hillary Clinton becoming the next president. But Janet Yellen vehemently denied that the Fed is acting politically. But that's exactly what they're doing. Even if you separate the fact that they didn't raise rates, their rhetoric is, is political. The fact that Janet Yellen keeps talking about how strong the economy is shows that it's all politics because she must know the economy is weak because if she didn't know that, then why isn't she raising rates? If she thinks the economy is as strong as she says it is, they should raise rates. Now, one of the things she said is, look, we want to err on this side of caution because if the economy really heats up and if you know inflation really flares up, we have a lot of ammunition uh, to fight it because rates are so low, we have a long way to raise them. But if the economy turns down, we don't have a lot of dry powder, so we better, you know, we better not hike. But the reality is they don't have the ability to raise rates if inflation picks up. The higher inflation gets before they act, the less likely they are to do it. Because the problem is if they let inflation get to two and a half, three percent, four percent officially. And now they say, okay, yep, we can just raise rates up to five percent in order to snuff out that inflation. They can't do it. Everything implodes and we're in a massive financial crisis. So to the extent that they really thought that they contain inflation, the sooner they tried to do it, the better, because the more out of control it gets before they decide to fight it, the more impossible it is to do it. Now, I would already argue that it's already too high for the Fed to fight it. And that's one of the reasons why they're not even going to try. But of course, they can't admit how impotent they are. So they have to keep talking about this. But it's all politics. But it's also interesting because if Janet Yellen really says that the Fed is not political and they don't make any decisions based on how it how it's going to look for the administration, right? that is the opposite of what Ben Bernanke said. I talked about that radio interview he gave some time ago where he was asked about all the statements he made, all the rosy statements he made about the economy in 2005 and 2006, and if he regretted any of those statements, you know, because, you know, they were so wrong. And his answer was, well, you know, I was speaking as a member of the administration and I couldn't exactly speak my mind. What administration was he talking about? The Bush administration. That's obviously political. So if Ben Bernanke believed that he was part of the Bush administration and had to tone down his rhetoric at a deference to politics and how it may play out, given what the administration was saying, right? Janet Yellen, why is Janet Yellen more independent than Ben Bernanke? Right? The reality is, if Ben Bernanke was being political and believed he was part of the Bush administration, 
Well, then Janet Yellen obviously feels she's part of the Obama administration. More importantly, she wants to be a part of the Clinton administration. So, of course, everything she says and everything she does is political, including denying that it's political, because obviously the Fed can't admit it. Right. Let's say the decisions are motivated by politics. Let's say Donald Trump is right and he is right. Do you expect Janet Yellen to say, yep, he got us. He called us out. That's absolutely right. We're ignoring economic reality and all of our decisions are political. I mean, if their decisions are political, why even ask them the question? Because obviously they're going to lie about it because if they're making monetary policy based on politics, it's already a lie. If they're pretending to be data dependent when they're really political dependent, they're lying all the time. So why ask a liar if he's lying and expect an honest answer, right? The, the media says, oh, okay, the Fed says they're not political. Well, that must be true. Obviously, it's all part of the ruse. And, you know, and if you look at all these questions that people are asking in the press conference, you know, about, well, what's it going to take to raise rates or, you know, what's changed or, you know, is there some kind of new criteria or is there a new goalpost? They still don't get it. There never was a goalpost because they can't raise rates. The only reason they did it last December is because they felt that their credibility was on the line and they had no choice. But they're not going to do it again. I mean, look at what happened when they did it the last time. And even if they did raise rates December, it would be one quarter of a point a year. I mean, how many years would it take for interest rates to get back to where the Fed claimed they were going if they only moved by a quarter point a year? And of course, if you're moving that slowly, what's the odds that somewhere over the years you don't get another recession? And of course, the minute you get another recession, you know, you go back to go, you don't collect your $200, right? You're, you're, you're back at zero. And now you got to start all over again, right? A quarter point a year. Of course, by then they might have to do a quarter point every two years. But everybody still thinks that, that this is serious. They still don't get what's actually going on, that the Fed isn't going to raise rates, but they can't admit that. So they keep pretending and it doesn't matter. You know, the markets are like, you know, Charlie Brown trying to kick that, uh, that, that football that Lucy's holding. No matter how many times Charlie Brown runs, he expects Lucy to leave that ball down, but yet he yanks it away every time. And the same thing with the Fed, although not everybody was expecting a rate hike in September. Very few people were because they thought it would happen in December. But you know what? By the time December rolls around, the probability of a December rate hike will be way down. And of course, then the probability of a March rate hike will be much higher because every time the Fed doesn't raise rates, the markets believe, well, that a rate hike is coming. Why? Because the Fed keeps talking about the possibility of raising rates, but never actually doing it. I mean, Janet Yellen says, whoa, the case for raising rates is strengthening, but I need more data. Well, how much more data do you need? She doesn't say. Like, she's not telling us where we are on that the scale of 0 to 10. If we're at a 4, what's it going to take to get us to a 10? She never says, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the data is. It'll never be good enough. And that belies the fact that the data's not even good anyway. The data's getting worse. But Yellen isn't even acknowledging the fact that the data is getting worse, because that's politics, because that's not going to be good for Obama, and it's not going to be good for Hillary. So she claims that everything is good, but that it's just not quite good enough for a rate hike. And so we stay, we stay packed. But of course, the reality here is that if the Federal Reserve or anybody else believes that artificially low interest rates are going to produce legitimate economic growth, they don't know anything about economics. This is the problem. 
if we really want the economy to grow, what we need is higher interest rates, not low interest rates. Low interest rates are actually preventing the economy from growing while they are creating inflation. So we are creating stagflation, low growth with higher inflation, and that is the result. So that's why these policies are self-defeating and therefore never ending. See, this Keynesian myth is that we grow the economy with low interest rates, but we don't. See, Keynesians believe that economies grow based on spending. But in economic reality, economies grow based on savings. It's the money that we don't spend that grows the economy. It's the money that people save because it's savings that allows for capital investment. And it's capital investment that allows for increased production and higher labor productivity. That's what grows an economy. If we consume less today, then we can consume more tomorrow because we will invest the difference. But we're not doing that. We have low interest rates. We have negative interest rates when you adjust for inflation. People are not saving. They are discouraged to save. And so we don't get economic growth. And we're never going to get economic growth unless we have higher interest rates. But we can't have higher interest rates unless we're willing to burst a bubble in the stock market and burst a bubble in the housing market and burst a bubble in the bond market and go through another financial crisis. But for political reasons, the Federal Reserve will never allow that to happen. So they keep trying to put out a fire with gasoline and the fire keeps getting bigger and bigger and they keep on pouring more gasoline and everybody expects the fire to go out. And it's never going to go out. You know, speaking of bubbles, in that Q&A, there was a question about bubbles, and one of the reporters asked Janet Yellen if the Fed was worried about, about a bubble, about these low interest rates creating a bubble. And again, this is like asking, you know, are you worried that the, you know, the horses may leave the barn before you close the doors? Meanwhile, the barn is completely empty because the horses left, you know, ages ago, right? And Janet Yellen says, you know, yeah, of course we're worried, we're concerned about bubbles, and we're on the lookout for them. You know, we're, we're looking around just in case there are any. Like, what are they going to do if they find one? Raise interest rates to pop it? Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve has never spotted a bubble. In, in his, It didn't see the Nasdaq bubble. It didn't see the housing bubble. So why would their vision be any better now? But yep, supposedly, they're, on, they're, you know, they're looking around, they're making sure there's no bubbles. And if they see one, what? Right? What are they going to do? I mean, if you believe the Fed... You can never know a bubble until after it pops. Well, by, by the time it pops, it's too late. So the, the, the reality is they don't care about bubbles because bubbles are the smaller issue. What they want is to postpone the pain until after the next election. The problem is there's always another election, whether it's in two years or in four years, and the Fed is always political. And it's not just the Federal Reserve, it's all these central banks. The whole idea that they're independent is complete nonsense. You know, look what happened with the Bank of Japan overnight. The Bank of Japan came out and basically said that they are going to target the yield on the 10-year JGB at 0%. 0%. That means they're saying that they are going to let the Japanese government borrow money at 0% interest indefinitely. Now, they didn't say how many you know bonds they're going to buy to make that happen. They're just going to buy however many they need, which ultimately is going to be a lot because they're creating a powerful incentive for the government of Japan to keep borrowing money because why not? It costs nothing, right? I mean, if you could buy yourself a house and the bank was going to give you an interest-only mortgage and the interest was zero, you'd buy the biggest house 
anybody would sell you. I mean, why not buy a $100 million mansion because the payments are the same as on a $100,000 shack? So if you have the Bank of Japan out there saying we're going to do this. Now, the Bank of Japan didn't say they're going to do it indefinitely. They just said they're going to do it until inflation is above 2%. So it's not just hitting 2% now. They want to get above 2%, and then they're going to let interest rates rise. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they're going to do that. Imagine this. Imagine the Bank of Japan says we're going to keep on buying Japanese government bonds and keep the rate at zero. And they keep doing it and they do it. Now, Japanese politicians realize that, hey, this is a great. Let's go on and spend a bunch of money, run even bigger deficits, borrow the money because we don't actually have to pay any interest. And, of course, we never have to pay it back because if the bonds mature, well, A, they're not even – they're 10-year bonds. So they're not even going to mature for another 10 years. So we don't have to worry about it because we're probably not going to be in office in another 10 years. All we know is whatever we borrow – the interest cost right now is zero. So the deficits run up, and now the Bank of Japan has to print even more yen, and they got to buy even more bonds. And then eventually, inflation, as measured by their CPI, goes to 3 or 4%. Now what? Now they stop buying government bonds and let interest rates rise up to 4 5 6% and completely implode the bond market. And then, of course, when the bonds do mature into a higher yield environment, the Bank of Japan has no choice but to default. I mean, this policy can't succeed. It can only lead to disaster. And it's because the Bank of Japan still doesn't want to admit that they've been trying to put out a fire with gasoline. That is why the fire is so much bigger and why they keep getting gasoline. And the longer they wait to deal with reality, the worse it's going to be. They're making the same mistake. We're making the mistakes. All these central banks are trapped in a hell of their own creation, and they're living in it. And the problem is very few people recognize this. Now, the markets did react. The uh, dollar was already slightly lower and gold higher by about maybe 10 bucks before the Fed's decision, based, I think, on the announcements coming out of Japan. Which, by the way, was a disappointment, actually, because the Japanese wanted even more stimulus than what the Bank of Japan promised. But as far as I'm concerned, what they promised is open-ended because they just said, we're going to buy as many bonds as we need to to make sure the Japanese government bonds are at zero. Because if the bonds are going to yield zero, who would buy them? Nobody. I mean, why would you lend money to somebody if they're not going to pay you back any rate of return? So the only legitimate buyer for those bonds is going to be the Bank of Japan. And believe me, they're going to be buying a boatload of them. But eventually they're going to have to stop. But the more they buy, the less likely they are to stop. So I don't know why they think that this is somehow less than they thought. But as a result of what they had promised, gold was already up. But then as soon as Janet Yellen or the Federal Reserve at 2 p.m., when they came out with their announcement that rates weren't going to go up, then the price of gold took off and it stayed up throughout her press conference and closed right near the high of the day, up about 20 bucks, 1334. Silver had an even stronger day, up better than 60 cents. It closed at 1982. It's almost back up to $20. And the dollar index lost about a half a buck, down 54.9545. I think this is just the beginning, though, of the market reaction. I think as more and more people digest what the Fed said, and more importantly, what they didn't do or didn't say, they're going to get wise to what's going on. Meanwhile, the economic numbers keep getting worse. 
whether the Fed wants to acknowledge it or not. In fact, just the other day, the Atlanta Fed finally took their third quarter GDP number down to 2.9. Remember, this thing was up at about 3.6 or 3.8 not too long ago. So 2.9 is the lowest it's been in some time. I wonder how much longer uh, it's going to be in the twos because more likely than not, we'll get a number one point something if we even get that. But the fourth quarter will probably be much, much worse. The third quarter, my guess is that the Q3 number for GDP is going to be the high watermark of the year. Remember, we had very low numbers in Q1 and Q2. We might get a bit of a bounce in Q3, nowhere near as big as the one that the Atlanta Fed expected. And then we're going to have a lousy number again for Q4. And the whole year is going to be lousy. In fact, it is, in fact, a recession, Uh, whether or not anybody wants to acknowledge it. That's why the Fed's not raising rates. And even if the economy was still growing, imagine what would happen if they did deliver the rate hikes. Then it would be in recession. Because any growth that we have is not legitimate economic growth. It's just a bubble masquerading as growth. We're trading economic growth for higher stock prices, higher real estate prices. We're trading economic growth for the appearance of solvency. Because if we let interest rates rise, this whole phony house of cards would come toppling down. Remember, I said that in order for an economy to legitimately grow, we actually need higher interest rates, not lower interest rates. And one of the reasons, apart from just encouraging savings, is because it discourages government borrowing. Government borrowing crowds out private investment, which grows the economy. Why are governments borrowing so much money? Because the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Japan is making it so cheap. So as long as interest rates are rock bottom, and as long as the Federal Reserve continues to roll over any bonds that mature, there is no pressure or incentive for the government to cut spending. So they keep spending more and more and more. And it's that spending that is undermining the economy. But their solution to a weak economy, based on Keynes, is for the government to spend more. So spending keeps growing, and interest rates stay at zero, and the Fed's balance sheet keeps growing, and the money supply keeps growing, and all we get is inflation. And we don't get any of the economic growth. It's like you know a dog trying to catch its tail. It can never catch it, right? Because no matter how much... Uh, money they spend or money they print, growth is not going to happen. In fact, if you look at these articles that were written uh, about the increase from the or the statement from the Bank of Japan, it says their policy is to produce growth and inflation, that those are their two goals. They want economic growth and they want inflation. And presumably, they think those two go hand in hand. They don't realize that inflation undermines economic growth. And if, you're, and if you want growth and inflation, you're not going to get both. You're only going to get one. And unfortunately, the one that you're going to get is inflation. You're not going to get growth. And as you get more inflation, you get less real growth. And now, because you're disappointed, because the real goal is growth, right? The goal is not inflation. Inflation supposedly is a means to that end, right? If we have higher inflation, we're going to have more growth. But it doesn't work that way. Inflation doesn't cause growth, and growth doesn't cause inflation. Governments cause inflation by creating money. Economic growth comes from savings and then investment. And how do you get savings and investment? You have sound money. You have low inflation. You have few regulations. You have low taxes. You have limited government. That's what grows an economy, not inflation. But what also produces inflation 
is a weak economy where governments destroy production. So even as money supply stays constant, if governments are undermining productivity with regulation and taxes, then we produce fewer goods. And what ultimately causes prices to rise is more money chasing fewer goods. And you can get there by diminishing the supply of goods or increasing the supply of money. And unfortunately, governments around the world are effectively doing, doing both. And so the one thing we know is they're not going to achieve their actual objective. The question is, when are the markets going to figure this out? Now, again, I think that a lot of people are okay with the Fed not raising rates in September because they say, well, you know, it's an election year. And no matter what they're saying about not being political, they don't want to do that. They don't want to risk the markets selling off. They don't want to risk the election turning based on a surprise, especially since, look, the probability of a rate hike was, I don't know, 10%. Uh, coming into today's announcement. So the market was not prepared for it, and it might have reacted uh, violently to the downside had the Fed raised rates. And so why take a chance? So I think that people can still say, look, the Fed wants to raise rates. They're just going to wait till after the election. Well, when December comes and the Fed doesn't raise rates again, which they probably won't, because the economy is not going to be any stronger by December. In fact, if anything, it's going to be weaker because we are already decelerating. We're already going downhill. We've already passed the peak of this expansion and we're contracting and we're either nearing recession or already in it. But the longer we go in time, the weaker the economy is going to get. And so if the Fed wants to wait for more evidence because they're just not sure that the economy is ready for a rate hike, even though the case had been better, if we're at a four right now on that scale of zero to 10, my guess is that by December we'll be a three or maybe a two. And even if the Fed doesn't want to acknowledge that we're going in the wrong direction, they're certainly not going to deliver a rate hike. So I think that by December, when another opportunity to hike comes and goes, I think that's when the Fed is really going to be in trouble. And that's when the markets are really going to begin to figure this out. And I already think, though, at that time, the price of gold will already be much higher and the value of the dollar already much lower when the markets come to this conclusion and then the dollar decline will turn into a rout and the gold rally is going to turn into a explosive move up. And I would not wait for the Fed not to act in December. I would buy more bullion now. I would add to my positions. I would get more money out of U.S. stocks to the extent that you're in the stock market and get into foreign stocks that are going to benefit from a weakening U.S. dollar and benefit from the fact that people recognize that the U.S. market is not the safe haven and they start to look for other safe havens. And I think there are some countries out there that aren't as screwed up as these major economies. And as people start fleeing U.S. assets, they're going to be looking for true safe havens with which to invest. And, you know, a lot of these countries that are that are safer are much smaller. Their markets are much smaller. And so if you have a flood of foreign money looking for the few safe havens that remain, the people that got there early are going to be very well positioned to profit. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. 
Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams, and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.